in the practice of the Dharma, we are essentially engaging in the the journey of returning more and more fully to a conscious contact with that which is true, that which is wholesome, and that which is beneficial for ourselves and for this world. And that sense of returning, coming back, is very much a part of the practice, the uh, sense of responding to where we are by connecting, by re-establishing a sense of presence, a sense of connection, a sense of openness and interest with whatever we are encountering. This process is very much at the heart of, of the practice that transforms. And that connecting, reconnecting, opening, exploring, takes place to a large degree, and particularly in the initial development of practice, but equally through its maturing and flowering in its full breadth and depth, that connecting takes place, that opening, that exploring takes place from a, or we could say in contact with the direct experience of body, or with the experience of body as a, as a ground and a foundation from which to explore all things. And so in meditation practice there's very much the encouragement and the support to orient towards that, away from the somewhat more ephemeral and transient and equally, we could say, constructed realms of mental activity. Although, of course, all experiences ultimately ephemeral, transient and constructed. The experience of body is somewhat, we could say, moving more slowly with regard to all that. And therefore enables us to connect more deeply particularly as we are establishing a sense of steadiness and that capacity to connect with intimacy, to connect with where we are and to see clearly what is true in each moment and every experience. So there's this process that's encouraged very much of turning towards the body, turning towards the breath. And we notice what it's like to be breathing as a primary instruction in meditation. Sometimes we notice the throat is dry and uh, fortunately I have some water here. Other times, of course, we're simply there with that experience of breathing and noticing how it is to breathe. 
It may be easeful or it may not. But in turning towards and making use of the breath, there is an immense resource that we can draw upon. And I'm quite sure that much of what I'll have to say this morning will be simply reminders to you of things you know, repetition of things you've probably heard. And yet so much of practice is simply that process of coming back to what we know, of re-engaging with what is at one level familiar, and yet if we meet it truly from the, in the spirit of practice, it is equally fresh and new. And so the breath is this anchor for us, this experience arising that accompanies our entire life journey, so easily taken for granted, except until the moment where we have occasion to doubt that it will continue. And in such a moment, then the breath stands forth to us as the very substance of our existence, which it is, and without which our existence is not. Quite that simply. In the context of insight practice, we use the breath for grounding, steadying, collecting and focusing the activity of mind through coming again and again into contact with that experience. And we equally use that experience of breath as a a vehicle, as as a way of exploring, as a means to see into our experience and the very nature of experience from the levels most gross and equally through to the most profoundly subtle dimensions and realizations that are accessible through practice. The breath can be the foundation for all of this. It's so important not to consider it as somehow the sort of beginning practice, as one might perhaps imagine it to be. Likewise in the the practice of, of calm, of samatha, the cultivation of stillness of mind and concentration. Breath is very much used as a foundation for this practice, bringing ourselves very deeply and directly into the felt experience of body through the breath, starting to attune to the energetic resonance that is expressed through the breath and that in fact is the very source of the breath. And through the deepening connection with, we can allow the activity of the mind to become subsumed, dissolved into, it would seem, the the flow of breathing and ultimately the uh, stillness of which that movement is simply an expression. Breath is likewise supportive in the practice of loving-kindness, cultivating metta, or mudita, karuna, upeka, the brahma-viharas of loving-kindness, compassion, appreciative joy and equanimity. Being connected in that practice is important. It can become a little 
heady if we're just using phrases and imagining or bringing to mind those who we may wish to practice for. So using the breath to connect with one's body and particularly helpful and useful to know and feel the breath directly in the region in the centre of the the chest, the heart centre, to breathe in and through that region or more precisely to be in contact with the experience of the breath moving through that region as it does. Provides a very direct access to both being in tune with however our heart's condition may be, whether open or not, tender or not, warm or not, knowing and understanding that it's fine for it to be one or the other. So we become aware and in touch with that and equally connected to, grounded in our body as a foundation for the practice of loving kindness and the other Brahma Viharas these beautiful qualities we can cultivate. And so whether one is focusing on the the practice of insight meditation, on the cultivation of calm and tranquility, or on the development of loving-kindness and warm-heartedness, breath is an immense support to that. And uh, I'd just like to read a little piece from the, the Buddha Again, probably very familiar words, but I find it rather inspiring and powerful sometimes just to go back to the the words of the Buddha himself and see how that what he said over two and a half thousand years ago seems to speak very directly to where we are today. And he says of mindfulness of breathing, Anapanasati, bhikkhus, and bhikkhus, of course, literally the... uh, the monks ordained in his order. But what he's speaking to is committed practitioners of the Dharma, which in those days the really only way to be that was to be ordained. So speaking to people who had committed time to practice, as you have all done. Bhikkhus, when mindfulness of breathing is developed and cultivated, it is of great fruit and great benefit. When mindfulness of breathing is developed and cultivated, it fulfills the four foundations of mindfulness. When the four foundations of mindfulness are developed and cultivated, they fulfill the seven enlightenment factors. When the seven enlightenment factors are developed and cultivated, they fulfill true knowledge and deliverance. When mindfulness of breathing is developed and cultivated, through this, true knowledge and deliverance is fulfilled. And the Buddha goes on to... Sorry, that last bit was my paraphrase. I hope that was clear. The last sentence. And so the Buddha goes on to say, and so how is mindfulness of breathing developed and cultivated? And goes on to speak about attending to the breath, sitting cross-legged under a tree or beside a rock. And kind of, we have slightly more comfortable conditions here. No, There are still the option on trees and rocks if you wish. Something useful I find always of staying in contact not just with breath and body but the natural world as we practice. And so the Buddha then suggests and reflects upon the ways in which we can experience breathing, the different textures 
to experience the breath in the breath, the breath as the breath, means to know it directly, to be in touch with the sensations and the vibrations, the direct and immediate experience. Allowing that to bring us into contact with the immediacy of life, with the both the vitality and the the ephemeralness of the breath that maintains this remarkable existence and yet is so fine and so simple and so insubstantial in many ways. And as we do so, to see that this allows mind and heart and body to come into harmony, that the breath somehow seems to link all the dimensions of our existence. It's influenced by and influences the emotional experiences of the heart. Likewise of the mind and mental activity is influenced by the breath and influences the breath. Equally too, the body is influenced by the breath and can influence the breath. The condition of heart, mind and body is mirrored in the breath, revealed in the breath, transformed through the breath. So not looking for a particular kind of breathing, not trying to do it right or fix it and make it the way it's supposed to be as if such a thing existed. But being aware of how it actually is, if long or short, rough or smooth, deep or shallow, becoming attuned to this, being in touch with this. And noticing that what's Important, or remembering that what's important with the breath is not how it appears or even where it appears, that various locations can work at different times for different people. Whether the nostrils or the location in which you connect, with the chest or the belly, or the sense of the whole breath moving through the breathing channel, or the sense of the whole body breathing in a more expansive way, where the energetic vibration of the in-breath and the out-breath can be felt throughout the cells of the whole physical structure and beyond. So this location or the particular nature of the breathing experience is not the most important thing. What's important is the quality of the contact that you make with it, the willingness that you bring to engage with it wholeheartedly in a sustained way. And allowing that quality of connection and that commitment to sustaining that relationship, allowing that to be what opens the breath up. Both in terms of the breathing experience and equally in terms of that which we can see and understand through the breath. It opens up through the quality of engagement that we bring to it. So, with that we can also find it useful to sometimes adjust the way we engage with the breath as a response to what's going on. And particularly, although there are many aspects to this, something that's useful to be aware of is the energetic cycle of the breath is one in which as we breathe in there's a a vitalizing of our whole bodily system, our our physical 
body is nourished by the oxygen that is drawn in. And as we breathe out, there's a relaxing, releasing quality. There's a letting go as the the muscles and the torso relax and the breath just goes out as the body relaxes. So if you're experiencing drowsiness, heaviness, dullness, sleepiness, or perhaps not feeling so interested in the breath, kind of not really feeling like you can engage with this or want to engage, it's kind of boring. Or if you're drowsy, feeling heavy, feeling distant. It's useful to give the primary attention, the predominance of your attention, to the in-breath. To notice that aspect of the cycle more fully and directly. And not give so much attention to the out-breath. And connecting with the in-breath, there's a there's a way in which we can attune to and allow ourselves to be touched more deeply and fully by that alivening, engaging, that active quality that is the part or that ex- an expression of the, the, in a way, the energetic blueprint or the vibrational blueprint of the in-breath section or part of that cycle of breathing, of the cycle of breathing that... that that can really nourish both the, the sense of brightness and alertness in the body, but equally nourish the mind and the sense of engagement. It can be very helpful. You can also notice, if you should pay attention carefully if you are drowsy, when it is that the mind tends to disappear. Because often it will tend to disappear when we merge into the relaxing quality of the out-breath. We somehow become lost in it and don't come back. And then we're out, gone. Now, it may be different for you, I can't say. But uh, check and have a look for yourself if you're experiencing drowsiness or heaviness. What happens in terms of how the mind slides out or slides down? And whether it's supportive for you to to really give more attention to the in-breath in that condition. Now, if uh, drowsiness isn't really the issue or boredom isn't really the issue, if it's much more to do with restlessness or agitation and a sense of being very engaged, perhaps over-engaged or active in mind or body, then it can be really useful to give much more attention to the out-breath, to really tune into, allow yourself to feel the relaxing, releasing quality. There's a softening and an opening that happens as we breathe out in the very texture of the body in the very texture of consciousness, in fact. <coughs> and attuning to that more clearly and consciously provides a counterbalance to the, to the agitation or the restlessness that may arise at times in the mind. And that provides a space and a container for that restlessness or agitation or that um, sort of antsiness that one might experience in the body where one can't quite sit still just allowing there to be a space for it to be held in, which is that relaxed, warm, open, releasing quality of breathing out. Just letting go. and Letting go of all the agendas or the demands that the restlessness may be seeking to push or drive through mind and body in the form of activity or reactivity. So breath in this way can be very helpful, very supportive. And when we pay attention to the breath, we're simply present. We're right here. 
We don't have to go looking somewhere else for what or where we're supposed to be. Because it can be just this. The Buddha once said of this quality of being present, he said, and it was in response to a question, in fact. He was uh, sitting with a number of his monks and nuns in the forest, and some visitors came and observing just how serene the environment. One of them came to the Buddha and said, Venerable Sir, the monks and nuns of your order seem very calm and peaceful, so serene and radiant. Why is this? Can you tell me? Can you explain this to me? And the Buddha responded, he said, Yes. It is because they do not dwell upon the past. They do not hanker after the future. He said, Those who dwell upon the past or hanker after the future... They dry up and wither like green reeds cut down in the midday sun. Because they do not dwell upon the past, they do not hanker after the future. They abide in the present, here and now. Therefore they are radiant. And this natural radiance... This radiant quality of being present is something we can discover simply abiding in the breath, in the moment, as we are and where we are. And understanding also that the breath is an expression of body. It manifests through the body, in the body. And just as we use breath as an anchor and a ground, so too the body is anchor, the body is a ground for us in so much of the activities of the day. Again, we've heard this before. Perhaps we've taken it deeply to heart and that's why we're here, which is wonderful. And so again, I'd just like to read a few of the words of the Buddha with regard to mindfulness of the body. In fact, I'll just read a little more than just about the body. Hmm. I hope you've all heard this before, in fact, because this is from the, uh, the Satipatthana Sutta, the Foundations of Mindfulness. This is the one of the fundamental teaching, teachings the Buddha gave. and uh, This is what he said. He said, of this practice and of the foundations of mindfulness, he said, because this is the direct path. Friends, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief. For the attainment of the true way. For the realization of Nibbana. Namely the four foundations of mindfulness. What are the four? Here, bhikkhus, here friends, a bhikkhu abides contemplating body as body. Ardent, fully aware and mindful. Having put away covetousness and grief for the world. He abides contemplating, or she abides contemplating, feelings, ardent, fully aware and mindful. 
having put away covetousness and grief for the world. She, or he, abides contemplating mind as mind, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. She, or he, abides contemplating mind objects as mind objects, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. There's this framework for the practice. Contemplating body as body. Ardent. Sort of beautiful word, ardent. Like a flame, that sort of bright, upright, and yet somehow fluid quality. Ardency. Fully aware and mindful. Like really here. Really conscious. And having put away covetousness and grief for the world. Putting away that habit or that fantasy that somehow the things of the world that we covet, desire or seek for could really satisfy our deepest longings. Equally putting away grief in the sense, not that we don't experience grief, but that sense of somehow the things that the world hasn't provided me or the things that I've lost in the world or may lose through the world, that this somehow stands in the way of realising and discovering our deepest potential. Putting that away. Not seeing that those, not making those things the most important things. They have their place in our inner life and our active life, in fact. But here, putting them away. And having, putting, having put them away, the path opens up. And so then of body, and I'll just read a little more of this. And how, because, does a bhikkhu abide contemplating the body as body? Here, having gone to the forest or the root of a tree or an empty hut, one sits down, folding the legs crosswise, setting the body erect, and establishing mindfulness in front of him. Interesting phrase, establishing mindfulness in front of him or her. What does that mean? It's like, is it out here somewhere? I don't think so. It's like, almost like mindfulness is to the fore. And at another level, it's like putting mindfulness in front of him or her. It's like almost putting mindfulness in front of self. The priority is mindfulness rather than me or self. This is what's to the fore. This is in front. This is what has the priority. Or maybe it means sticking it out here. I don't know. But it didn't work for me like that. Establishing mindfulness in the breathing. Breathing out, breathing in. And the Buddha continues to speak with regard to this. The one piece I want to add really is to do with the the wholeness of this practice where the Buddha speaks of again of this, again bhikkhus. A bhikkhu is one, a practitioner, a committed practitioner, is one who acts in full awareness when going forward and returning, who acts in full awareness when looking ahead and looking away, when flexing and extending his or her limbs, 
when wearing her or his robes, carrying the outer robe or bowl, who acts in full awareness when eating, drinking, consuming food and tasting, who acts in full awareness when defecating and urinating, who acts in full awareness in walking, sleeping, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking and keeping silent. In this way, he or she abides contemplating the body as a body, abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. So a very clear invitation and injunction to let the body be the ground for one's day. Sometimes in the sitting we may use the body as the primary ground also, equally as the breath that can be very beneficial. But through the day, allowing that sense, when, when, when here's the list of what he suggests we be mindful of, it's hard to find a spot where you, you know, oh, that's the bit where I don't have to be mindful, isn't it? One might sort of carefully read through, where is the place right? Oh, when having a cup of tea, okay. Oh no, that's eating and drinking, yes. Okay, still got to be mindful here. And not got to be, but it's really like invited to be, encouraged to be, having the benefits of being mindful pointed out to us. This is the transformative path. (coughs) So to know body is body. It's direct sensory experience, accessible intimately and immediately to consciousness. Letting go of the images, the concepts, the ideas and the associations we have with body whether we wish it to be as it is or as all too commonly we wish it to be somehow different than it is, whether it's appearance, dimensions, shape, colour or its very character of changing uncontrollableness and impermanence. Any of these things that we might wish to be other than as they are, not needing to give energy to that, but simply letting the body be as it is, and letting it be a ground and an anchor for us in our life and our day. And as you go through every moment and experience of your retreat, the more and more one can use and access the body as a ground, the more and more one will receive from that. The Buddha once said that within this fathom-long body, it's about six feet, within this, or two meters, within this fathom-long body, all of the Dharma is revealed. Suffering, its cause, its ending, and the path there too. All of this is revealed in the body and through the body. And so a worthy object for our meditative practice and a crucial foundation for both being grounded when we may and if we may find ourselves exploring more subtle realms and dimensions of experience, the body is still the connection that we need to sustain. And likewise for carrying the spirit and sense of practice through the day. It is the body that is the, the ground for that. The posture, the movement, the activity of body to which we can always return. And this body is simply life unfolding, expressing itself, revealed, 
as sensations, sensory vibrations that we can know directly that arise out of the conditions that are here right now, that are not in our control or according to our preference and yet have so much to offer to us. And particularly if, and it can often be the case in an initial period of a retreat and equally of course at other times and any time in one's practice, that if there are difficult patterns of thought, sticky or entangling emotional experiences arising, feelings and thoughts that we get lost in, it can be very useful and helpful to bring the attention into the body, to notice how the body is manifesting or experiencing this particular moment. Allowing ourselves to be grounded in the physical aspect of the experience enables us to stay present where we are without being lost in or entangled by the reactivity or the stickiness that sometimes arises with thinking, with emotionality. Coming back into your body as a refuge, as a resource. And there's a way of really paying respect to the simple fact of organic life. When all the pressures of mind and heart may come to bear upon you, upon your practice. Remembering that there's a simple, though not necessarily easy, but a simple response and, and a ground that's available through that, of this body that's here, that is an incredible blessing to us. As they say in, in Asia, you know, your body is your temple. It's the place you practice. To really ex- sort of recognize that with some de- degree of respect. And uh, spending plenty of time there certainly repays itself. There's just a couple of other points I want to mention with regard to being in the hall. In terms of uh, the sittings, and in fact the end, not just the sittings, but if it serves your practice to do standing meditation during a period of sitting, that's allowed. And we were saying on the opening night that no walking or yoga or other activities in the hall, that's correct. But if we're in a, a still posture, standing or sitting, that's okay. And if occasionally we have to change posture, of course, as you know, to do so mindfully and sensitively, but that's okay. If you feel due to issues of health or uh, unwellness that you may need to lie down, please come and speak to one of us about that, one of uh, the teachers about that before taking that step. It may be appropriate and uh, it's just good to check in about that. Also with regard to the sense of this being an ongoing place of quiet practice, 
The sensitivity to those around you as you enter and leave, whether at the beginning and the or the end of a sitting at the time marked, or whether it's in the middle of a non-sitting period. If there are others here in the hall, just being very aware that they are sensitive and will be aware of your movements, activities or sounds you generate. So being gentle and sensitive and quiet in that, so far as you're able. And for those of you who will also at times be sitting in the hall when others are moving, being aware that really the true silence is the inner silence in which we don't pick things up and start to react to them. And so let sound just be sound. There will always be sounds. And uh, therefore there can be a, a mutual sensitivity and respect in uh, using of the hall. And so when people come and go or need to do so outside of the scheduled sh- sitting times, then being a time to practice both mindfulness of body as one moves and uh, mindfulness of sound as one listens. And therefore nothing is outside of the practice here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.